I think maybe you all have, um, are aware that we're, we're just doing a little kind of three, maybe four week little mini series um, within this semester on the book of Exodus, right? We kind of started this semester looking at the Bible and the preciousness of the, the Bible, the authenticity of the Bible, and uh, just the value of the Bible to change people's lives, right? And uh, I don't know if you remember, um, but we kind of ended that little sequence on the word with some verses out of Luke. And so actually, that's kind of where I want to start tonight. And it's on your sheet. If you look at uh, the very top, um, why, don't we, um, why don't we read all together Luke 24, and there's three verses here. Uh, it's not a typo. They're out of order for a reason, but uh, at least chronologically. But uh, anyway, why don't we read these three verses together? And he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things written in the law of Moses hmm, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their mind to understand the scriptures. And they said to one another, Was not our heart burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was opening to us the scriptures? Right. So hopefully you might remember these verses, so maybe they're a little familiar by now. Uh, repetition aids learning, at least for me. Uh, I like a lot of, I need a lot of repetition. Um, so who can tell me, what, what are the scriptures for, according to these verses? What do the scriptures do? What do the scriptures talk about? What's that? Okay, they help us understand. Understand what, though? Um, you know, the Bible is kind of unique, um, you know, it's got history, it's got poetry, it's got, uh, uh, it talks about man's condition, it, it talks about God, right? It talks about ethics. But eventually when you, you know, what's, what's the kernel? What's, what's key about the Bible Particularly, you know, this is the Lord himself speaking in Luke 24. What does the Lord say? You know, I, I think there's an English class, at least there used to be. I assume this professor is still around. And uh, he used the Bible as part of one of his textbooks in, in his English class. But uh, Jaden, I, I think I'm, uh, I'm, I was disappointed. He used the Bible for its history. It's poetry, right? But is that really what the Bible's for? Or some, sometimes people even use this, you know, B-I-B-L-E. You know, uh, you know there's, they put an acronym to that. Does anyone know what that acronym is? Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. Is that, is that the depth of the Bible? What does the Bible reveal to us? What does the Lord himself say about the Bible? It's in the Law of Moses, which is the first five books of the Bible. It's in the Prophets, major and minor. And it's throughout the Psalms. What do all these books talk about? Whoa. They talk about what? Ah, what do they talk about? 
Christ. Wow. What does the Lord say? All the things written. I see. Let me get it right. Um, where'd it go? Yeah, all the things written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Wow. Is Christ in Genesis? Do you find the words C-H-R-I-S-T? How about J-E-S-U-S? You going to find it there, Brett? No. But the Lord says it's written about him. And so, anyway, we, we were doing this little series on Exodus, and you know what I hope? You'll see Christ. Amen. You'll see Christ in Exodus. And uh, notice what the Lord says. Uh, he opened their mind to understand. Amen. You ever read the Bible and not understand what you're reading? Raise your hand. Right? I can raise, you know. <laughs> right? I've, read all, I've read all parts of the Bible, all kinds. Ah, what's, what's going on here? What's this about? Well, here's a secret. It's about Christ. Amen. So now when you read the Bible, I hope you have, Lord, a little prayer. Actually, I hope you appreciate this. It says, he opened their mind to understand. To understand this book, who do I need? Wow. To understand this book, I need Christ. I need, I need him to open my mind, right? And my mind's actually the leading part of my heart. I need the Lord. This is why it's so good when you come to the Bible, you know what? I need to pray. I need to come to the person of Christ, right? He opens it. And then also, uh, he opens our mind. And then also he said to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, he opened the scriptures themselves. So there's kind of two openings. If you're going to have the Bible fulfill its function, which is to reveal Christ to you, wow, Lord, help me. Open my mind, which is to open my heart, and Lord, you open the scriptures. It's not just about history. It's not just about ethics. It's not just about poetry. Lord, I want to see Christ, right? How do you know you've seen Christ in the scriptures? What happened to the, the disciples on the road when they saw Christ in the scriptures? What was going on in their heart, Glenn? Whoa, burning, all right? Burning, you ever had a burning, right? The burning of Christ in your heart. So anyway, I, I hope we all could see Christ tonight. And we're just gonna take a little sample out of Exodus, right? So uh, Tom Ponder helped us last week uh, to see something of Christ. So we're just gonna kind of quickly review a little bit here and see a little more detail than what Tom could bring out due to time. Okay, uh, why don't we read Roman numeral two altogether? God's people in slavery in Egypt under Pharaoh, okay? Um, I'll just read this verse. This is verse 11. This is kind of the opening chapter of the book of Exodus. It says, so they, the taskmasters over them, the Israelites, afflicted them with their burdens. And they, the Jews, the Israelites, built storage cities for Pharaoh. Okay, is there anything wrong with that picture? You know, Exodus, you could say, is a picture book. If you read the book, uh, it just shows picture after picture. You know, sometimes I like to tell people the Bible 
is the best television, right? Netflix has nothing on the Bible, right? Sorry, Netflix. The Bible trumps. It's superior to Netflix, right? You know, I kind of like this word television, right? What's TV, okay? It's television. What is, what is, you know, people like to watch things, right? It likes to televise a vision into you. You know where to get the best television? You know where to get the best, tele, uh, how do I say this? The best vision televised into you? The B-I-B-L-E. The Bible, all right? It will tell you a vision. And Exodus is an awesome example. So the book of Exodus opens with this kind of this vision, this view of God's people. But where are God's people? You know, the Lord called Abraham out of Ur of Chaldee and brought them, he said, to a good land that's flowing with milk and honey. Are they in that land in the opening chapter of Exodus? Where are they, Luke? Whoa, they're in bondage in Egypt. Now, okay, um, Egypt. Does, is Egypt positive in the Bible? Now, I have nothing against you know, the country, Egypt. I, I, I actually visited that in 2017. And a dear friend of mine who's actually an alumni from UNT is living there right now. Actually, he called me today, but I, ah, Travis, I couldn't pick up. <laughs> so I'll call him back. I'm going to call him back. But he's in Cairo this day. Anyway, so I have nothing against Egypt. I love Egypt in that sense. But in the Bible, Egypt has a negative connotation. Because who's over this country? Pharaoh. Who does Pharaoh represent? Satan. So think about this. God's people are in Egypt, and they're building storage cities for Pharaoh. Does that sound like good, healthy employment for God's people? Is that what they should be doing? And uh, it says, The Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with harshness, and they made their lives bitter with hard labor in mortar and in brick and in all kinds of labor in the field. All their labor with, with which they made them serve was with harshness. So actually, Luke, you're right, they're in bondage. They're in slavery, right? They're under the tyrannical hand of the devil. And this is Exodus, right? Um, so, okay, so here is the early chapter of um, Exodus. Okay, and God's people are in Egypt. But where are they at the end of the book? What's going on here in chapter 40? They are in the wilderness, but what happens in chapter 40? Anybody tell me? Can tell me? Whoa. Actually, the, it's, uh, that, at this point, it's called the tabernacle, which was just God's house. And they actually... Tabernacle. Um, uh, they actually built it, right, in this last chapter. And the glory of God fills that tabernacle. Oh, what a spectrum. What a spectrum. Do we start out here? Where do, where do we all start out? Where did I start out? Where did you start out, right? Yeah. We all started out here in Egypt, 
in the kingdom of Satan under his usurpation, under his occupation. Right? Okay, so we'll, we'll look at a few more details. Um, okay, so how is, how is the Lord going to get his people out of Egypt and, and, and build the tabernacle? All right? Chapter 1 there. Um, he uses Moses. So why don't we, uh, let me just read Exodus 3 a little bit here to you. And Jehovah said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good land, to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Pretty cool, huh? Sounds good. So come now, he's speaking to Moses, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Have you ever paid attention to the name of this book? What do we call this book? Wow, I wonder what that means. <laughs> right? What does every person need in their life? An exodus. Exodus means a going out. And exodus means a departure. What does every child of God need in his Christian life, in his or her Christian life? I need a departure. I need an exodus. Can God's house be built here? Impossible. Impossible. Right? So the Lord needs to bring us out of Egypt. Right? Okay. Now, is this an easy job? Right? Does the Lord just snap his fingers and say, hey, let's go. Okay, guys, rally up, you know. All get up behind Moses. Let's do it. All two million. There's two million Israelites is the estimated number. They're living in Egypt. They've been there over 400 years. Right? It goes all the way back to Abraham and, their, and, and his sojourning. The Bible counts it. 430 years. Okay, so you think they're settled there a little bit? Have they, you know, kind of settled in, kind of comfortable? So anyway, how is the Lord going to get his people out of Egypt? Right. <clears throat> well, um, he gives a charge and a commission to Moses, and he says, you, and then he gives him Aaron. It's awesome to have a brother. It's awesome to have a companion, all right? I would not want to be Moses <laughs> going by myself before Pharaoh the king. But the two would go together. You know how many times they went to Pharaoh? They had one request. God just had one request. You know what it is? Let my people go, right? This is repeated, I think it's eight times in these early chapters of Exodus. And this is Moses and Aaron's charge to Pharaoh. Let my people go. He's, he's, got, he's got them in a tight grip. All right? And the Lord is demanding, release my people. They're my people. Let them go. Well, 
Does Pharaoh just salute? <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> right? Well, in Exodus 5, Afterward, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, Thus says Jehovah, the God of Israel, Let my people go, this is amazing, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. What's God offering his people? Wow. What was Satan offering his people? Slavery. Your choice. You want a feast or do you want slavery? Right? These are our options. Right? Lord, I want, your, I want your offer. I want to take God's offer. And I want to have a feast to Jehovah. But Pharaoh said, Who is Jehovah that I should listen to his voice to let Israel go? I do not know Jehovah, and I will also not let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us go with three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to Jehovah our God. Otherwise, he will fall upon us with pestilence and sword. Then the king of Egypt said to them, that is to Moses and Aaron, why are you trying to release the people from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now many, Yet you want them to cease from their burdens? And the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as previously. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And the quota of bricks which they made previously, you shall still place upon them, and you shall not diminish any of it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. What was Pharaoh's evaluation of the children of Israel's desire to go out? Well, you're not busy enough. You need more to do. We're going to make your job harder. You have to gather your own straw to make these bricks. All right? You know, in your Christian experience, um, you know, the Lord is calling us to a feast. Do you ever feel like, wow, I'm not that available? Raise your hand. You can be honest. <laughs> I'll raise both. <laughs> right? Sometimes, I, you know, the Lord is calling me. He's calling me to a feast, you know. When I worked in Chicago, I had a boss. He was a taskmaster, right? Oh, Lord Jesus, right? Sometimes 70 hours a week, right? Often six days a week, right? In certain seasons of the year, right? And, um, you know, I remember one time uh, I was involved with doing research in six different states in the Midwest based out of Chicago, and uh, I'd worked to about 4, you know, it was 4, 4.30, and yet the next morning I'm supposed to be six hours away, four or six hours away in another state. And, uh, but my boss, you know, is he going to let me leave by noon? You know, that's all work time, right? Traveling four, five hours, six hours, I could be ready to go the next morning. 
So anyway, I went to his, his office one day, and I said, uh, Dave, um, you know, can we have a little adjustment in my schedule? I mean, he's like running me ragged. I'm his right-hand man. He hired me to be his right-hand man. He's running the company. It's his, his corporation. And he asked me, he, you know what he told me? I asked. It's okay to ask. And uh, you know what he, what, he, what he told me, James? He looked at me and he says, Tom, I'm not asking you to do anything I'm not doing. You know, he was a workaholic. And, you know, Brett, when he said that to me, you know, this is my first job, right? Eight years of college. And, uh, you know, I went to graduate school, got a master's degree. And um, anyway, I looked at him and I thought, okay, you know, you're right, Dave. Yeah, thank you. And I walked out of his office. But inwardly, I thought, amen, Lord, I'm not staying here. I'm not going to live my life under this kind of bondage, Right? I want my life to be more than my job. I don't want to live under a pharaoh that's going to keep me from feasting with God. I got to have a job. I need to have a job. But I don't need to be under a pharaoh, right? That's just going to only add to my task, right? So anyway, as Christians, we often feel this pressure, right? I feel this pressure. And so it's awesome to realize, okay, Lord, you're my real Lord. You're my real master. I want to follow you. And so, you know, sometimes it's just good. Take a break. Go take a break. Go take 10 minutes and read the word. Or go to that, that gathering of other believers and hold that feast, right? You all come in tonight. I think this is awesome. You know what you all are doing? Hopefully you'll leave tonight fed. And you had a feast. And you had an enjoyment. Right? I'm sure all of you have homework. How many have homework here tonight? Right? <laughs> but, but it's awesome you take some time out, right? John, you told me you're tired earlier today, right? But hallelujah, you're here, brother. Amen, right? I, I want to hold a feast unto Jehovah, right? This is what we're doing, right? Okay, so anyway, Pharaoh was relentless. It took 12 conflicts. Ten plagues and five different bargaining situations to get the children of Israel out of Egypt, right? We don't have time to touch all those plagues, um, but I will say this. It took about five, and then every time Pharaoh just hardened his heart, and then he began to bargain. And he said, you know, you can go. But uh, why don't you sacrifice in Egypt? Well, another plague came. Then he, you know, he got a little more subdued. And then he says, well, why don't you go, but don't go too far. You ever had somebody tell him, wow, you're going too far, Ashley. You love the Lord too much. It's okay to love the Lord, but don't love him too much. Don't go too far out of Egypt. Stay close. That was one of his bargainings. Right? One of his subtle bargains. Well, another plague comes. Then Pharaoh, he compromises and says, well, why don't you all go, but only the men, just the men go. Keep the little ones, the old ones, and the livestock here. Then another plague comes. And then Pharaoh says, um, 
okay, why don't you all go, but uh, keep the cattle here. And then Moses says, well, excuse us. Uh, what are we going to sacrifice to Jehovah? All right? So then eventually uh, Moses says to Pharaoh, uh, it's here. Uh, I love this utterance. Uh, Moses says, to Pharaoh, we will go with our young and with our old. We will go with our sons and with our daughters, with our flocks and with our herds. We must hold Jehovah's feast, right? And eventually he says that we will go with our cattle and not a hoof will be left behind in Egypt. Awesome. This is the Lord's servant, right? Okay. So then comes this 12th conflict, which is the 10th plague. And what is this plague? Does anyone know? What is it? It's called the Passover on the positive side, but what's the plague? Death. Death to all? Death to all the firstborn, right? In the land of Egypt. From the palace of Pharaoh to the maidservant. In every house, there's a firstborn. And death came to every house, except the houses that had something. You know, um, Lord Jesus. Okay, um, what did they have, right? Okay. So I got to do this in about seven minutes. Um, <laughs> um, okay, this is Exodus 12. Then Jehovah spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month will be the beginning of months for you. It shall be the first month of the year to you. You know, the children of Israel had two calendars, a civil and a sacred calendar. I hope you all have two calendars. You, you know, Brett, how old are you? You're 19. Awesome. But I think you could also tell me, when did you have a second birth? Oh, I'll bet you've had. <laughs> yeah, not physically. <laughs> not physically. <laughs> but spiritually, right? Right? All right. Okay. Early on. Awesome, bro. Uh, I hope every, actually, to be a Christian, you've got to have two calendars. You had to have a second birth, right? This is essential, right? It's not by inheritance. It's by a second birth. And this is what's going on here. The Passover is what the children of Israel called it. It's actually what Jehovah called it. And it was the beginning of months. It was the month of Abib. It was actually the seventh month of the civil calendar. But when this Passover came, it started a whole new calendar for God's people. The month, it was called the month of a bib. It's the tender sprouting of a green sprout, right? My second calendar started when I was 13 years old. I got saved. I got born again. And that was my month of a bib, right? The Passover is the month of a bib for every believer, right? Okay, we'll see why. Okay. Okay, they, had to, they took a lamb. Um, this lamb had to be without blemish. They picked it up on the 10th day. i got to go fast. It's all in these verses. They had to pick, 
take a lamb on the 10th day of the seventh month. They had to keep it to the 14th day. To do what? To examine it for four days. And then on the 14th day, they slaughtered it. You know what happened to the Lord Jesus? On Tuesday, he was slaughtered on Friday. We call it Good Friday for good reason. It's a good Friday when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. But they started examining him on Tuesday of that week. The Jews examined him. The Romans examined him. They arrested him the night before his crucifixion. And he underwent six examinations. Three by the Romans, three by the Jews. What did Pilate explain, uh, uh, proclaim at the end of all those examinations? I find no fault in him three times. And then what did the Lord Jesus tell Judas? He said to Judas, go quickly, do what you must do, which was to betray him, which would start his crucifixion. Because why? The Lord knew Friday is coming. The Passover is coming. And what must happen to this lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? He must be slaughtered on the Passover, the Jewish Passover, to fulfill this prophecy, right? To fulfill this type. Is Christ in the book of Exodus? Ah, absolutely. We don't even have the time. There's so many details here. All right, I encourage you, read this television, right? Watch this TV show by reading the book of Exodus, and you'll see Christ. You'll see Christ. Okay, the children of Israel had to be in the house. The Lord said, don't go outside. Because on this house, what did they do with the blood of the lamb? They slaughtered the lamb. Some historians even say the way the Jews slaughtered the lamb is they took a crossbar and they took the two legs of the lamb and stretched them out and tied together the bottom legs. And then they slit the lamb because they had to collect the blood. Is that not a picture of our Christ's crucifixion, Jacob? <laughs> right, right. And what do they do with that blood? They put it on the doorpost, right? Right, the doorpost and the lintel of the house. And then the Lord says, don't go outside. Stay in the house. The house signifies being in Christ, in union with Christ. And what is your entrance? You know, it's fascinating. This, this, this blood is on the door. It's not on the roof. And the Lord says, he sends the death angel. It's called the destroyer. And he's coming to Egypt. And he's bringing death to every house. Millions of houses, or at least millions of people. How many houses? Death came to the firstborn. Except there was, if there was blood... The destroyer, that death angel, would not enter that house. Why? What's the deal? Are those good people inside? They're better, right? They're better than the Egyptians. Is that the case? Blood is the only difference. Why did the Lord say in Exodus, when I see the blood, I will pass over you? Do you want God's judgments to land on you, James? Or do you want it to, ooh, ooh. 
I want God's judgment to pass over me. Wow. What do I need? Blood. Why is blood so powerful? Sacrifice. Why is God so big about sacrifice? From Wow. He's a righteous God. You're right, Luke. He has to judge sin. It says the wages of sin is death, right? But Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins, right? I'm a sinner before a righteous God. How can God accept me? He loves me, right? God so loved the world. But there's a dilemma here. The very love of God, um, the very love of God, okay, so God loves man, but you mentioned it, Luke, God is righteous. His righteousness must judge me. I'm a sinner, but he loves me. Seems like these two attributes of God are on a collision course. He has to judge to death. That's just how God deals with sin. The wages of sin is death. You like that payment? You want that payday? You like payday, right? You like payday, Brett? But do you want this payday? I don't want that payday. I want that payday to pass over me. How will it pass over me? I need blood. In other words, someone died already. Someone already died for me. Where does God's love and righteousness, actually Psalms talks about it as a kiss. Where do these two attributes of God kiss? What's that, Brett? Amen. <laughs> right? These two attributes of God are perfectly satisfied at the cross of Christ. Payment's been made. Why? Because God so loved the world. Now, when he comes to my house, he goes, oh, I see blood. That means judgment's already been here. Someone else has already made the payment for me. Woo! Hallelujah! Thank you, Lord. I'm safe in the, in the house. Everything outside the house is full of death. But the blood makes the difference. I hope you all love that phrase in Exodus 12. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Oh, I love this word, Passover, right? And 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says, Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. Is Christ in the Old Testament? Is, 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 is Christ revealed? Wow, I hope you all want to go on a discovery hunt and look for Christ in Exodus, in Leviticus, in Numbers, in Isaiah. In Psalms, it's all there, right? For our discovery, for our enjoyment, for our feasting, for, the, for him to be burning in our hearts, right? Um, well, did you see something? Did you see Christ? Amen. I've seen Christ, right? I love this Christ.